I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Adam Green, a privacy attorney and partner at law firm Davis Wright Tremaine. Adam will be discussing why patient portals, which provide patients with web-based access to their health information, are important and the privacy and security challenges that are involved. Hi, Adam. Hello. Now, to begin, briefly describe what patient portals are, what sorts of organizations are launching them, and why are they important from a regulatory standpoint? Patient portals usually refer to some way for a patient to be able to view some portion of the electronic health record, electronic medical record, however you want to refer to it, of a healthcare provider. So usually this is only going to be an issue where the provider has an electronic health record of some sort, and you can have significant variation with respect to how much information is in the patient portal itself. It could be clinical notes. It could be a much smaller subset of information. And this is different than certain other things, such as a personal health record, which is where a patient can keep their own information electronically for their own benefit. And so you could have situations, for example, where someone wants to access their information through an EHR portal of one particular healthcare provider, and and then take that information, along with information from a number of other providers, and put that into a single personal health record. So from a regulatory standpoint, there's really two regulations, I think, at issue here. The biggest one is meaningful use. In particular, meaningful use stage two is pushing for healthcare providers to provide more immediate access and particularly the ability to view, download, and transmit information through what is normally expected to be some sort of patient portal. The other major regulation is HIPAA, in that there's been a long-standing obligation to provide patients with a copy of their medical records, billing records, or certain other information in what's referred to as a designated record set. This can be partially achieved, at least through a patient portal, in which you give patients some of the most critical information from their medical record to them immediately upon request through this patient portal, rather than having them have to submit a request through a health information management department, for example. So meaningful use is really going to be pushing healthcare providers to launch patient portals far more than before, and this will be very important with respect to complying with their HIPAA obligations. What do you think are the biggest privacy and security challenges related to patient portals? Well, I think there are a number of them. I think one of them is authentication. How do you know that the patient is who the patient really says he or she is? And There's a number of different strategies for trying to tackle that. Another privacy and security challenge here is that you have an outward internet-facing website, essentially, with a large volume of sensitive information. And so you have to make sure that it's fully protected against different threats and vulnerabilities related to outside-facing websites, such as SQL injection, things of that nature, things that might allow one patient or a hacker to potentially see the information of another. Another big challenge area is really the case of minors and where you're a parent of the minor, what information should you have access to through the patient portal and potentially what information is not accessible to you unless the minor has signed an authorization. 
So now, what are the various ways that individuals can be credentialed and authenticated for accessing patient portals, and what are the pros and cons of those various methods? There's kind of two stages here. There's the initial identity proofing, and then there's the subsequent authentication every time someone logs into the patient portal. So for the identity proofing, normally that happens either in person or online. So the in-person could happen as part of the registration process or it could happen next time someone visits for an appointment. And there, the healthcare provider signs them up, creates an account, assigns a password, for example, either because they know the individual or they've checked the driver's license or some other proof of identification of the individual. The alternative can be remote authentication where you first do identity proofing remotely, and that could be that the individual calls up, that they email, they answer certain questions. It could be questions that are not publicly available but are known to the covered entity, the healthcare provider. For example, what was the nature of the last bill or payment? What's the last four digits of your Social Security number as further confirmation? Or it could be that the healthcare provider outsources this to another company that, similar to when you apply for one of your credit reports, you have to answer a number of non-public information, such as what street you lived on in a certain year. I know certain healthcare providers who are looking at identity proofing options like that. And then once you've initially identified the individual, there's authenticating them every time that they log in subsequently. That could be just a password. That could be multi-factor authentication, such as enter the password, and we're going to send you something to your cell phone with a code to put in. It could be a hybrid approach, such as we're normally going to ask for just a password, but if you'd like this multi-factor option, we can set that up for you. I think covered entities can choose from a variety of different authentication options here, although I expect most times it's just going to be a traditional username and password situation. And why is that? Is it because other sorts of authentication, multi-factor, et cetera, is it too difficult for patients? Or why do you think most organizations that have the patient portals will go with the, you know, the username and password only? Difficulty and lack of demand. You know, I think there's going to be a minority of patients who may want the more robust features of multi-factor authentication and may want to feel confident that their information is not going to be accessible to others just based on the password. But I think that's going to be a pretty small minority of patients. I think I expect most patients would only want a password and would find be very inconvenienced by having to go through multi-factor authentication. And here, with meaningful use, you not only have to make a patient portal or some similar technology available, you also have to have at least 5% of your patient population actually using it, actually viewing, downloading, or transmitting information. And so you don't want to set up hurdles through authentication or otherwise that is going to impede the actual use of the patient portal. Now, you mentioned this earlier. What are the privacy and security challenges involved with providing access to health records of minors via the patient portals, and how should that be handled? So this is a very tough situation. So you're going to have under the law some minors who generally their parent or guardian is their personal representative. 
under HIPAA and has the right to access their information, but they may be able to consent to certain services such as reproductive health services, substance abuse treatment. There may be a small minority of services that the minor can consent to on their own without any sort of parent or guardian consent. And for those services, the parent or guardian does not necessarily have a right to see the information. And in fact, for example, when a 17-year-old comes in for certain reproductive health services and her state is allowed to do that without any sort of parental consent, it could be a HIPAA violation to actually disclose the occurrence of such services to the parent. And so what you're going to be left with is three different sort of age groups. You're going to have 18 and over, which are full individuals, and their parents should not have any rights to their information unless they have either signed an authorization or designated their parent otherwise as being able to receive a copy of their patient portal information. You're going to have the lower age group, which might be 12 and under. This can vary based on state law, who will not be able to consent to any healthcare services on their own. And so the parents should have access to all of their information and so you probably want to have the parent as having full rights with respect to that patient population. But then you're going to have this challenging in-between, which depending on state could be, for example, age 13 up until the 18th birthday, where parents have a right to see most of the information, but not some. And so there's no one-size-fits-all solution to how you're going to address that age group. Some healthcare providers, for example, might provide parents with access through the patient portal, but may be able to segregate and have certain information that's not accessible to the patient portal for that patient population so that you know that the parent is not going to be able to see certain services. Other healthcare providers may not have that ability, and they may have to completely exclude this age group unless the minor, for example, signs an authorization that says that the parent can view any information that they may have that the minor is able to consent to on their own. So in that case, it may be that at age 13, for example, the individual's information is no longer accessible to the parent because you're not able to ensure that certain information such as reproductive health information is not included in the patient portal. And there, you only make it accessible with something an affirmative statement from the minor in that case, which unfortunately can also lead to very challenging conversations sometimes between healthcare provider, parent, and minor asking for such an authorization. So you know, these are challenges that I think we're still looking at different healthcare organizations finding what works best for them. How about providing other proxies with access to patient records? such as an an adult child or other caregivers to access an elderly patient's information. What are the privacy and security challenges involved with that? I think it's a great idea. I think you definitely want to give the tools so that, for example, the user, the patient, does not have to share their username and password, but instead could have a greater level of control by creating a delegate account where the delegate is able to view and potentially not do anything else with the information, and that could be, as you mentioned, an adult child, a caretaker of some sort. There, the simplest method may be getting a full HIPAA authorization, although 
the recent omnibus rule did provide also the tool that an individual can designate a third party to receive a copy of their medical record. And so you can use that. You don't need a full authorization for that. It only needs to specify the name of the third party, the address of the third party, and it must be in writing. So that could be, for example, someone electronically stating, please provide this third party with my access to my information at this email address, at which point you send out an invitation to that email address. So the most conservative thing would be to get a full HIPAA-compliant authorization, but we do have this greater flexibility now with respect to individuals being able to designate third parties. So I, I think that has actually reduced a potential privacy and security problem there. Now, when it comes to providing patients with access to their electronic health information in a way that's secure, yet not too difficult for them to use, how do patient portals compare with other methods of providing patients with access to their health information, such as secure email or other practices? I think it potentially is much easier to use. I think it will also link in sometimes with these other practices. So, for example, the patient portal may also be a messaging portal where a secure email is received by an individual. It's actually, they may receive an unsecure email that just says you've got a message waiting for you at the patient portal, and they log into the patient portal and see their information that way. So it may be not just a way to provide patients with a copy of some of their medical record information. It may also be an integrated secure messaging tool. And this could be a dramatically easier than the patient having to go in person and request a copy of their medical record through an HIM department, for example. Although what we've also seen sometimes is the patient portal provides some information and then it actually leads to an increase in patients coming in and requesting a full copy of their medical record through the, the more traditional means. But I think the patient portal will really help facilitate patient engagement in a way that can potentially be very much easier for patients than navigating the normal release of information process. There are going to be some patients who are still going to want a copy of their medical record emailed to them via unencrypted email because they don't want to deal with passwords or things of that nature. And HIPAA does say that to the extent readily producible, a covered entity should provide a copy of the medical record in the form and format requested. So if a patient, despite having the patient portal, despite having secure messaging, wants an unencrypted email, they still arguably have that right if you're able to produce an unencrypted email. And there, the guidance to the HIPAA omnibus rule suggests that you make sure the patient is aware that there's some risk of unauthorized viewing of the information as it travels over the Internet. But if they agree to accept that risk, then you should go ahead and provide through unencrypted email. Finally, moving ahead, as patient portals become more commonly in use, what do you think the biggest emerging privacy and security threats will be to these portals? I think as you get more of these, there will be more stories of vulnerabilities that have been identified. If the individual changes the URL by one number and they're able to see someone else's information. And so I, I think we'll see security challenges on that front. I think we're going to see a continuing struggle with 
the initial identity proofing. So some providers will take the approach that we will only authenticate someone if they show up in person and show us an ID. And other than that, we will not provide them with a full patient portal account where they can see their information. And no patient wants to make an extra trip to the hospital or the doctor's office, especially if you have a hospital that has patients coming in from across the country. Now, the alternative is if you do do this remote authentication, there's always going to be some circumstances, no matter how good the tool is, where someone such as an ex-husband, ex-wife, could potentially answer all the questions and open up an account and see the person's information. And so if you go with remote identity proofing, you're going to have a challenge such as that. And so I think healthcare providers are going to struggle and are going to have to look at their particular patient populations, what works best, and are they willing to take on, for example, the risks associated with remote identity proofing in order to offer that as an added convenience. I think we're going to continue to see challenges on the fronts of minors with respect to how to deal with minor records with hopefully some improvements on the ability of patient portals to segregate out certain information so that you can provide a parent with the full medical record except X, Y, and Z. But I don't know if the te technology is necessarily there yet, and so until it is, I think that's going to be a challenge for organizations. And then the other is just finding the right balance between usability for patients and good security. To what extent are we going to require robust passwords, or if the patient wants to use their username as their password, are we going to allow that as a convenience for the patient? And I think there's no correct answer there. Some organizations will take a paternalistic approach and will not allow patients to use anything but strong passwords, and they may get some pushback, and that may impact their ability to meet meaningful use criteria of getting a certain percentage using it. Others may risk security problems by allowing patients to have much less robust password strength. Thanks, Adam. I've been speaking to attorney Adam Green. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.